0: This is Dr. Michael Brickey with Ageless Lifestyles, cutting-edge thinking for being youthful at every age. On each show, I interview experts on what it takes to live longer, healthier, and happier. Today's show is Protecting Your Parents' Money and Their Retirement with Jeff Opdyke. Uh, Jeff is a financial columnist for the Wall Street Journal and author of six books including Protecting Your Parents Money, The Essential Guide for Helping Mom and Dad Navigate the Finances of Retirement. So you visit your parents and find a copy of Rolling Stones magazine. It has their name on the subscription label and you know they're not the Rolling Stones type and you realize it's time to see if mom and dad are managing their finances well. And to see what their plans are the future. But how do you go about it? That's where Jeff Opdyke comes in. Jeff, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So what might a parent, say 80 years old, be doing with Rolling Stones magazine?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a it's a very good question, and it's one that uh, actually came about because of my grandmother. She raised me. Uh, her and my grandfather, they were sort of my parents. They they raised me through most of my elementary and high school years and into college. And my grandmother's still alive. She's ninety one, I think, now. And I was at her house, oh, I don't know, a couple years ago, and there was a copy of Rolling Stone magazine on the cover, and you know, there's there's, it had, I think it had the uh, the Jonas Brothers on there or something like that. And I mean, my grandmother wouldn't know the Jonas Brothers from the Righteous Brothers, honestly. And there's just there's just simply no way that that she would have this magazine with her with her name on the subscription label. And I realized that it, it, clearly she'd been the victim of some sort of you know high. We're calling from Publishers Clearing House, or you know, not to besmirch them, but you know, some some company was calling to pitch her something, and she signed up for Rolling Stone magazine, and you know, she spent her you know, $19 a year, whatever it was. And I started going through her list of, of publications, and there were clearly just a bunch of things in there that she would not have. And, you know, it, it got me thinking that, you know, somebody needs to really protect the elderly from themselves effectively and from the people out there who want to take advantage of the elderly. I mean, some of them are calling with honest products, and the elderly are falling victim to that. Some of them are just parasites who, who prey on the elderly through fear and other intimidation tactics. And, you know, somebody's got to step up for these people. And, and in many cases, I mean, it's you. you you're, you're, the, you're your parents' sort of final gatekeeper, and you need to step up and help them when they're too old to help themselves financially.
0: Now, some of the common ripoffs of seniors that you write about are variable annuities. Why is that one of your pet peeves?
1: I worked for the Wall Street Journal for 17 years. I actually left last year to to go to work with a financial with another financial publication. But for 17 years, I covered investing. I covered retirement, uh, retirement planning, uh, a lot of elderly issues. And I actually sat in on a lot of sessions where people pitch products to retirees. I was at a, a at a Red Lobster in in Florida, down in southern Florida. I think it was in St. Petersburg area. Listening to a financial product seller trying to pitch variable annuities to retirees, and I was listening to the claims he was making many, many of them false, misleading, you know, designed to scare people into making a purchase, you know, claiming that, you know, you could turn your car onto this particular highway coming out of Red Lobster and getting a major wreck and lose everything in your life and you have to protect yourself. The only way to do it is with an annuity. I mean, you could see the fear building in some of these people and they were, you know, f- furiously scribbling their names on pieces of paper to learn more about what this guy was selling. I was out in Denver at a, a school where people who have spent, you know, the last 10, 15, 20 years learning the tricks to scaring old people out of their money are basically learning, you know, they're they're teaching their they're teaching the the same tricks now to a new generation of sellers. Um, it, it literally is a, a school where you sit in a classroom and listen all day to the tricks of the trade. And I you know, I will never forget the guy who walked in on the first day. And I was invited to this. I told him I was coming. I was coming as a reporter because I wanted to understand more about annuities and how they were sold. And they invited me into this class. I sat there, and the guy walked in on the very first day and said, I'm here to teach you how to walk into an old person's house, find out every asset they own, and walk out owning it yourself. I mean, that is their game plan. They want to take advantage of old people because they know that that elderly have certain fears in life about losing access to their money, not being in control of their life, and you prey on those fears, you can open up their wallets. They realize that, and I think people need to be protected from those kinds of parasites.
0: So they've come a long way from going door-to-door selling $2,000 vacuum cleaners. Right. I notice so many of the credit cards these days try to sell you credit card protection, and if you have several credit cards, that could add up. Does that hit seniors a lot?
1: Um, You know, it it can. I mean, there's so many different things that hit seniors. It's your role as, as, as their guardian to sort of step in and protect them. I mean, they served as your guardian when you were young, growing up, incapable of understanding the world yourself and trying to sort of navigate these things you didn't understand. They were there to be your backstop, to provide you, you know, a sounding board, to, to stand in your way when you were going to do something stupid and guide you. And it's your role now because they are in the same position. You know, many times they've lost some of their mental faculties. They don't always understand what they're getting involved with. You know, my grandmother and my aunt who live together don't understand the, the, the concept of, well, they understand the concept of a, of a reverse mortgage, but they don't understand all the mechanics involved. And they had to bring me into it to help them because they knew they needed somebody to help them. And that's, you know, that's what people really need to be doing for, for their parents. You know, you, you need to step up and help. And I understand That you may not know all these things. I happen to be a financial journalist. I understand reverse mortgages and annuities and all that kind of stuff. And most people do not. And most people don't want to know about it. And I understand why, because (laughs) it is very boring minutia. But the book is written in a way to, A, help you understand the basics. But more importantly, teach you where to go for the answers you need. Because I realize you're not going to get every single thing you need on every single product in a single book. I and mean, you need sort of a team of people to help you, be it lawyers, be it financial planners, to, the right people to help you put in place the right protections for mom and dad. And, and let me back up for half a second and, and readdress that annuity issue for a moment, because I want to make clear that not all annuities are bad. There are some annuities that are very brilliant. An immediate annuity for a parent that is designed to use a portion of a parent's net worth to create a permanent stream of income that that, that mom and dad can never outlive until the day they die and is used basically to cover all fixed expenses or as much fixed expenses as you can and then use the remainder of the nest egg for any kind of uh, discretionary expenses, any kind of, you know, healthcare expenses that might pop up. That's a great annuity because it creates a sense of security for mom and dad and it creates a sense of security for you because it means that mom and dad are going to be covered and you're not going to have to fall into that role of sort of financial backstop where you're paying for their bills because they can't afford to. The annuities I'm particularly talking about that are bad are variable annuities, particularly those that have, you know, huge Huge surrender charges connected to them, or that provide—you know—that have huge fees associated with them. The problem with variable annuities is that, is that they are designed specifically as a, an, an asset accumulation vehicle. They're great for somebody who's working towards retirement, but they tend to be pretty bad investment for somebody already in retirement because the person in retirement isn't really looking for asset accumulation so much as they're looking for asset decumulation. They're trying to draw down their assets to generate income to live on. And a variable annuity is just not that product. So it's not that all annuities are bad. It just tends to be that many variable annuities are just don't fit the bill for elderly people, particularly once you get past about 67, 68, towards 70 years old.
0: So a regular annuity is going to pay you the same amount every month or whatever the period is. And the variable, uh, it varies with what?
1: A variable annuity is designed so that you know you're let's say you're i'm i'm forty five years old so I could go out today and I could buy a variable annuity and I'm going to take that money and let's I'm just going to make up a number and say it's fifty thousand dollars and that fifty dollars fifty thousand dollars is going to go into the variable annuity and it's going to have these underlying sub accounts which are very similar to mutual funds but you know structured slightly differently. And I get to choose, I'm going to go into a, you know, a a sub-account that follows the S&P 500, one's going to follow a bond market fund, one's going to, or a bond market index, one's going to follow, you know, emerging market stocks. And the variability is the variable returns that you're going to get from month to month and year to year based upon the underlying investments that you make. So that's where the variability comes into. The immediate annuity is basically taking that same $50,000 Giving it to an annuity company, and they turn around and they annuitize the money immediately, meaning starting on the you know the next month or whenever you want it to start um, you're going to be getting a paycheck every single month until you die. if you structure it that way, I mean you can structure it for a five year payout ten year payout whatever many people structure it for a, uh, a sort of a, a till i die payout uh, payout scheme and essentially you're creating your own pension, so you know you might get a Uh, Again, I'm going to make some numbers up here. You might get a half a million dollar payout from the company you've worked out for 30 years. You've accumulated all this money in some sort of profit sharing plan, some sort of 401k, whatever the, whatever the, whatever it is. You're going to get this big payout and you have to do something with it. And you can stick it in a bank and draw interest from a CD, which is nothing these days. You can try to invest it on your own. You can give it to a broker and hope he does it right for you and doesn't churn your account and doesn't lose money on some, you know, internet blow up. Or you can put part of it into a variable annuity that is guaranteed by a highly rated insurance company. And from that day forward, you're going to get your, you're going to get a a monthly payout. It's basically creating your own pension uh, that you can never outlive. And I think those are brilliant annuities. Those are fantastic ways of creating permanent stream of income with a portion of your money. Uh, and you, you basically know that everything that you need to live is covered until the day you die. So you, you don't have any worries anymore. You know, the rest of your money can go to zero and you won't be happy about that. <laughs> but your living expenses are covered and you're good to go.
0: And with that 50000 or half a million or whatever, the older you are, when you get that kind of annuity, the higher the monthly amount's going to be. Correct. A lot of us have parents from the, quote, greatest generation. That was a great PR move on their part. And they don't like to talk about finances. What have you found are some of the effective ways of bringing this subject up with parents?
1: That's a really good question. In fact, it's the, it's the first chapter of my book. And I call it The Talk. And I put it first because it is the single most important chapter of the book. All the stuff on annuities and all the stuff on social security and whatnot. I mean, that's sort of the the dry filler that you kind of need to know to help your parents go in the right direction. But before you can even get them going in any direction, you've got to have the conversation with them. You've got to have the talk. Uh, and that's why this is the most important chapter. That's why it's first. And effectively, you know, I, it, it, it's it's a, it's a matter of... Trust and honesty and basically, you know, just straightforward forthrightness. I've seen, a lot, I've seen a lot of financial magazines and other periodicals that talk about, you know, approach mom and dad and, you know, use the old ruse of I have a friend whose dad did X or, you know, say, you know, throw back onto yourself and say, you know, when the market fell apart, my stock portfolio really got hit hard. How is your 401k plan? I mean, that might work, but it's, it's, everybody knows that trick. Mom and dad know there's no, quote, friend whose dad did X. And mom and dad, you know, they realize that when you're talking about your own portfolio and how's yours, you're trying to back into a conversation you're uncomfortable with. They realize that they may be uncomfortable with it, or they just may want to ease your, your discomfort and say, you know, we're okay, so don't really worry about it. And, and you've lost the opportunity. The better approach is basically a very straightforward, very honest, very heartfelt approach, which is, Mom, Dad, can we talk? You know, you're in an age now where, you know, there's going to be issues that pop up, be it financial issues or health issues or whatever it is, there are going to be issues that pop up, and somebody's going to need to stand beside you and take control of your finances or your wishes when those time when that time comes. I want to be that person. I want to be there for you to basically help you through the period that you can't help yourself. Um, and I know that this is a subject that can be touchy. There may be accounts you don't want me to know about. There may be items in the will that you don't want me to know about right now, and that's fine. I don't have to know all these things, but I do need to know and I do want to know about the most important accounts and the most important you know, legal documents you have in place and the most important insurance contracts you have in place and the long-term care contracts or whatever it is that you have. It's going to allow me to help you in that moment when you need it most and there's nobody else around who knows about this stuff, you're telling them there's somebody out there who can help, and I'm willing to be there for you, and that will open the floodgates of information, I promise you. You know, my grandmother went through this. I mean, she, she actually approached me because she really wanted somebody there for her, but it's going to be the same process. I mean, she basically called me over and she said, look, here's a brown envelope, and it's got everything you need to know about my financial and legal life. You know, that's that's ultimately what you're going to get to I mean mom and dad may not do it immediately they may not give you the keys of the kingdom that second or that day or that week that month but they're going to spend some time they're going to think about it they're going to decide what they how they want to approach this and they're going to call you and say hey let's have that conversation I've put together some papers for you that's the way into this conversation
0: and of course it can be trickier than that if if you've got different siblings that disagree about how to do things of course now that, we- that actually brings the really good question, though. I mean, that
1: raises a really important topic, because if there are siblings, you have to approach them first and say, look, I have these concerns about mom and dad, and I want to approach them about somebody being there to take over for them when they need it the most. It doesn't have to be me. It could be you, Sally, or you, Fred, or you, whoever, but we need to come together as a family, and we need to talk to mom and dad about this. Some siblings are going to say, no, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about mom and dad's mortality, you know, that's creepy, whatever. If you want to do it, you go do it, whatever. And some will say, you're right, let's do that. Some, I mean, it's going, to, it's going to take some give and take. And if you ultimately are in a situation where you're the one who is taking charge of mom and dad's financial life, you have to be really open with your siblings and you have to show them the process all along the way so that they don't think that you're out for yourself don't think you're mismanaging the money you know you've got to show them every document you've got to show them you know hey I, you know i had to write a check today for mom and dad's health care plan it was 397 dollars and just want you to know where this stuff is going you know give them an update every single month so that and give them access to all the books everything they need so that they know that you're doing it right and you're not out there trying to benefit yourself at, at their uh, detriment
0: uh, and email makes that a little easier. I, I'm, I'm glad we're not getting the whole family together and having it look like an AA intervention. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, of course, now we have a new alternative. We can say, Mom, Dad, oh, my God, I read Jeff Opdyke's, uh Protecting Your Parents' Money, and I'm really worried.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of what the book is there for, honestly. I mean, I ho- I hope people can use it as a calling card and say, hey, mom, dad, you know, I just bought this book, I'd like you to read it, you know, like they've got some interesting stuff in here. And hey, maybe we can talk about this at some point if you if you see the same benefits that I do.
0: So if our conversation's successful, we put on our Sherlock Holmes detective hat and start looking for clues about where all the money trails are. And the best money trail, if they'll allow us to do it is to just go through their mail uh, for several months.
1: Right. Assuming, assuming that mom and dad sort of open their financial life to you, I mean, one of the first things you're going to have to do is basically build a portrait of their financial life. And that means going through the checkbook register and finding out where they do their spending. You know, you you have to know the income streams that are coming in, the the dividend checks they might get, the the pension income they might get, social security, whatever it is, you, you got to know this um, so that you can sort of understand the inflow and outflow of cash that they have. And it's not going to be all in one neat little place for you to go look. I mean, it's going to be bills that arrive each month, and you're going to have to sort of chronicle those. You go through the checkbook and see where their their monthly, their quarterly, their annual annual payments happen. You might go through their tax records to see, you know, what income comes in because they may they may just sort of let this stuff accumulate. They put it in a box and give it to their accountant. Their accountant goes through and does the taxes every year and they really don't have a clue that they have seven dividend reinvestment plans that are giving them a thousand dollars a month. They just know they get a bunch of checks in the mail and it goes into their brokerage account and their broker does well, you know, there's there's so many different avenues for spending and income that you you have to really do play detective and and sort of go through all the the different types of documents that exist so that you can begin piecing together this financial puzzle that is your mom and dad's life. And part of that, when I talk about financial life, I'm not just talking about the money that's coming in and going out. I mean, it really is about the the documents that are in place for end-of-life issues. So that's going to be long-term care contracts, it's going to be, you know, various types of insurance plans. there's going to be various types of, of life insurance, health insurance, um, the wills, the powers of attorney, the health care directives. all these things go into this quote, "financial life uh, that you really need to know about because all of that is going to come into play at some point as you're serving as sort of financial parent to your parents.
0: Is it worth the effort to get a credit report, or is that going to show up in the other documents anyway? Well, a
1: credit, a credit report is great. I actually tell people how to get how to get a free one in here, so that you can see where your parents' debts are, because assets are the assets are sort of amorphous at times. You know, you don't quite know where they all are. It takes a little time to put them together. Debts congregate in one place, and they congregate on the on the on the uh, credit report. Uh, And you can get a copy of this and you can see what mom and dad still owe to, you know, the mortgage company, uh, which credit cards exist out there that they may or may not remember. Do they have a home equity line of credit that they're paying on or one that's open they don't remember? Moreover, it helps you see if there is any sort of financial fraud. Anybody has stolen mom or dad's identity and has opened an account that allows them to, you know, basically trade on mom and dad's Good credit, you know, did somebody get a, a a mortgage in their name or something, you know? You have housekeepers that come through. You have care workers that come through, friends that come through, uh, hangers-on that they may have sort of befriended somewhere, uh, and you just don't know where these people are, you know, what kind of information these people are pulling out of your parents that they may be using for nefarious reasons. That will show up on the credit board. I mean, if you see that Mom and Dad has a credit card, at Neiman Marcus, and you know, Mom has never shopped at Neiman Marcus in her life. Well, we've got a red flag to look at really hard. So the so the credit report can be very very important in helping build uh, that that picture of their of their financial profile.
0: And then we also need to look to see if there's any pension benefits or or other benefits. Maybe uh, if if we have a widow who's become has problems with dementia or something, she may be eligible for a VA pension through her husband. That can be pretty tricky,
1: right. you know pensions get lost in the in the sands of time, honestly, because a pensions have been going away over the last couple of decades or they've been phased out and and older workers were either grandfathered in or the their pension was stopped, and they still kept it and the and the assets remained on the balance sheet of the company and, and you know, your 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 mom or dad is eligible to receive that, and some company may have been bought by one company, merged into a second company, split apart by a third company, and bought again by a fourth and fifth company. So, you know, the the pension benefit that your dad is owed from the railroad he used to work at in, you know, northern Vermont may now be sort of some part of some gigantic conglomerate that, you know, some railroad company owns in Texas, and it was you know, six or seven mergers ago somehow, and that stuff gets lost. But the pension never goes away because these pensions end up, if, if a company can't sort of backtrack through the system and figure out who is where and what they're owed and all this kind of stuff, it goes to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp., which is sort of a, a government agency out of D.C. that keeps track of all this stuff. As pensions are closed, uh, shut down, whatever, whatever, whatever happens to them, they end up there. And you can go there and you can do a, a search for free at their website and I think it's pbgc.gov if, if I'm correct, I can't remember now, but it's Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp. You can search them on Google. Uh you can go there and you can check and see if your parent is owed a pension. And there are some big pensions out there. I mean there are you know, some pensions are several hundred thousand dollars, some are very small, some are, you know, um, less than a thousand dollars. But they exist. And if, if you can prove that, you know, your parent is still alive and deserves this pension, or some of them actually go to a widow, it uh, takes a little bit of effort to prove who you are and who your parent is and all that kind of stuff. But once you prove it, the pension, is, the pension belongs to your parent, and, and it will be paid out. And so you can generate income for mom and dad just by doing a little detective work and determine if they, if they have a pension that's due to them.
0: So the starting point is probably getting a good work history on them.
1: Absolutely. That's part of the. That's part of chapter number two. I think it is, which is the documents, and it really is sort of building a work history of where mom and dad have been employed. Because you know, people change jobs over time. They change locations over time. They don't work uh, at at locations for a very long time. In some periods, they they start work at one place, it gets merged into another company, and they retire from a third company, and they don't always remember, God, who, who did I work for? Who was the first one? Where, where is it located? Um, so you've you got to sort of track back and, and sort of help them build this, this idea or build this, uh, this timeline of, of where they worked, when they worked, what city they were in at the time, and go from there. And, and that way you can determine where you should be looking for you know the, the pensions that might exist.
0: And this is a message for our own record keeping in our own lives in that our parents tended to work for the same companies for longer periods of time, but our work histories are often changed jobs every five to seven years, uh, so it's even more important for us to, to keep good records on our own employment.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm 45 years old, and
0: I'm on my fourth job, I think it is. We're talking with Jeff Opdyke, who is the author of Protecting Your Parents' Money, The Essential Guide to Helping Mom and Dad Navigate the Finances of Retirement. And it's in most bookstores and Amazon.com, etc. And Jeff, you've written several books. One I thought was particularly interesting, Piggy Banking, uh, which is about uh, how to afford kids and how to teach them about money. So you do both age groups.
1: Actually, it's it's part all of this is part of a three part series I wrote. It started with um, Financially Ever After, which is basically how couples who come together in marriage or you know whatever sort of uh, living arrangement they come together under um, are you know how to how to plan your life, how to begin, how to learn to talk about money and manage money together as a couple. Um it's not just about personal finance, it's about personal relationship and the 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 key variable there, the commonality is the personal part. So financially ever after is all about the personal part of personal finance as it relates to couples coming together. Uh, from there you, you know, naturally have kids usually and that leads to piggy banking which is, you know, sort of teaching your kids about money growing adult growing up growing kids into adults who are wise with their money and again it does it's not that you have to know all the tricks because the book is there to teach you what you need to be telling them at what age and how to find the information you need to find to help them with things like budgeting or credit cards or saving uh you know it's all wrapped up even investing is in there I mean, it's all wrapped up in this concept of piggy banking i mean you're you're basically trying to grow a Financially um, secure, financially competent adult who doesn't go off into the world and think, "Wow, I only make twenty-five thousand dollars a year, but if I get an interest-only mortgage and I promise to pay twenty-two percent interest seventeen years from now, I can buy a four-million-dollar house for nineteen dollars a month." You know, these are the people who got themselves in really deep trouble in you know the housing crisis, you know, because they were very excited by what they could afford with these magical mortgages in the early part of this decade and when those magical mortgages started changing as they were designed to do you know suddenly the very affordable mortgage payment became a very unaffordable mortgage payment that led to foreclosures and bankruptcies in the situation we have now so piggy banking is designed to help you grow kids who don't end up in that kind of situation and then from there it goes into what we're talking about now the the parenting your parents protecting your parents money because you end up in a stage older in life where you're no longer dealing with your kids and money. You're dealing with your parents and money. So it's basically a progression from marriage kids to caring for your parents when they're old.
0: So life didn't come with manuals, but you wrote the financial manuals for us.
1: Exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly what it is.
0: When it comes to retirement income, one of your pieces of advice is to – that. well, you say three-fourths of people take Social Security retirement early? Namely, age sixty-two. Right. And you say take it as late as you can and use your IRA money first.
1: Yeah, you know, I can't remember all the all the numbers. There's a lot of numbers involved in that, but um, I, I have some some contacts of mine over at, at Prudential, big the big insurance company, financial services company, uh, and they ran some numbers for me, and it was really interesting. You know, most most financial planners tell you to. Take your Social Security early because you can do a better job of managing it than the government can, and you can generate the income off this. Um, and it's just wiser for you to have access money, have, have access to that money now. Let your IRA continue to grow and draw on your IRA later. Logically, that makes sense, but in real terms, when you actually run through the numbers and you look at the, the tax ramifications of taking IRA money versus taking social security money, it makes a whole lot more sense to actually take Social Security last. Start drawing your IRA first. Yes, you're going to draw down more of your IRA, but at some point your your Social Security is going to kick in and it's going to kick in at a much higher level than it would have kicked in when you were 62 and it's going to completely replace your this this IRA drawdown to the degree that you can extend your life in retirement much longer um in terms of knowing that your your nest egg is going to cover your life. Because what people don't realize with Social Security is that if you take it at sixty two, you're going to take a huge haircut, okay, from what you would get at sixty five. And if you wait from sixty five to seventy, the gain you get is tremendous. But and then from there on the, the the annual cost of living inflation is based or the cost of living adjustment is based upon when you took it. So if you take it at sixty two your 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 cost of living adjustment every year is based upon that that value at 62, and by the time you hit 70, it, it, the the difference is monumental. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna see huge different difference in your income. Um, so it it often makes a whole lot more sense. And if you the, the all the numbers are in the book, but it makes a whole lot more sense to. Wait as long as you can to take Social Security and live off your IRA and other assets until Social Security kicks in. You're going to ultimately generate far greater spendable income, which is the most important part because of the way Social Security is taxed versus the way that regular income from IRAs and 401ks is taxed.
0: And that piece of advice could save people a lot of money.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it really is stunning when you look at the numbers, the, the tens of thousands of dollars it saves, how, long, how much longer it stretches your nest egg into retirement. It's a really smart strategy. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but, it, but you need to have a financial planner look at this and look at this with an open mind because a lot of people tell you, no, 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 take your IRA first because that's conventional wisdom. But conventional wisdom is not always right, and in this case, it's not. Uh, and and the numbers show it's not. And Prudential did some really, really well-tested research on this to show it just doesn't work. Particularly, you know, in the way the current tax regime is. I mean, with taxes mm-hmm. change, and you know, if they change Social Security, all that could change too. But given the way everything is structured right now, it makes a whole lot more sense to to take your Social Security last because it's going to give you a a longer progression of income in, uh, in retirement.
0: It's hard to know how much money that you need to save. Can you explain the 4% rule to us?
1: It really is impossible for, you know, there's, there's, there was a book out one time called The Number, which was, you know, tried to sort of peg a number to to, uh, to retirement and the cost you're going to need to save. You know, it's just, it just doesn't work. There's no such thing as the number, Nobody's ever going to figure out what your number is. Not you. Not anybody. So you've got to sort of figure out your. You got. You got to sort of go with your your best judgment on things. And, and the four percent is. You know, there was a. Um, this is a study out of I think the University of Texas San Antonio. I can't remember now, but it it, it holds that. You know, you can take four percent of your uh, your 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 nest egg. The first year you retire, you can take 4% of your nest egg as income. So if you have, you know, if um, you round numbers, $100,000, you can take $4,000. You know, a lot of people get a, a lump sum of, let's say, half a million. Well, they think they're rich. They think they have a ton of money. You know, $500,000, that's going to last me forever. Well, no, not really, because $500,000 is going to go quick, because you're going to have stock market fluctuations, and you can't assume you're going to stick this in a CD or a bank because the returns you're going to get are so minimal that you're not going to generate any real income off that $500,000. So you're going to need to stick that in some sort of investment, and those investments are going to fluctuate up and down, and you're going to be pulling that money out to live, and you can't decide, wow, $500,000, I can buy a brand-new Cadillac, or $500,000, I can go buy a boat. You know, That's going to really destroy your income earning potential in retirement so the 4% is you take you know 4% of your uh, of your starting base your starting net worth or your your liquid assets you're going to your nest egg sorry and use that as your as your base so 20,000 in the first year and you begin to in, you begin to increase it for inflation each year so if the, if there is an inflation of you know uh, I'm just going to make this up 10% you know your your $20,000 it's going to go to you know, $22,000 for the next year. It's going to be your income that you pull out of your uh, of your nest egg. Um, and if there's no inflation, well, then you stay at the $22,000 for the next year. So, you know, that's it's it's basically the idea that somewhere in the four to five percent range is generally a very safe number to take money out of your account every year with the expectation that that account will probably last for, you know, the 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 remainder of your life, at least 30 years or so. Now there's no guarantee because it really does depend on what happens in the market and if the market just gets destroyed, you you could have some real problems in uh in the future. But assuming the markets continue along their long-term averages and, and by that I mean the ups and the downs, hmm. um, you know, it should last uh 30 years if you just limit yourself to the uh 4% amount.
0: Ninety percent of seniors say they want to stay living at home as long as possible. When is a reverse mortgage an advisable strategy?
1: It, it, there is, I don't think that there is a, a, a one-size-fits-all answer there. It really is sort of a facts and circumstances depending upon your parent. My, for my grandparent and my aunt, it made a whole lot of sense for my grandmother, I mean. Um, you know, it was their way of getting rid of the of the of the mortgage note that they had still uh, and generating a little extra income because what's happening is if you get rid of the mortgage payment and clearly that's you know in their case it was like $1000 whatever it was so it's $1000 of income effectively that they don't have to that they can use on other things plus they had money left over that they could use to you know make some significant repairs to the house that needed to be made so, you know, a, a, I don't, I don't encourage people to rush out and get a reverse mortgage just because it's going to give them access to a bunch of cash and it's going to let them, you know, get rid of their their house payment. Because the reality is that you are making a payment. You're just sort of making it in reverse. You know, you're going to take all this money in, but when you die or you leave your house and move, you've got to pay all that money back. So you're sort of, you're, you're, you're sort of, the bank is paying you to live at the house. But when you leave, you've got to give all this money back plus interest. Plus, reverse mortgages tend to be fairly expensive products, much more expensive than a traditional mortgage. So there are considerations to be made. Moreover, if you plan to leave your house to your child or heirs, you know that it can still happen. You can still do that, but you know it may be that the child and the heirs have to come up with money to help pay this mortgage off because if you know if you. If if you borrowed a hundred grand and you know you in the house sells for two hundred grand, you know you, the bank is gonna gonna take a, a chunk of this money. I mean, you got to come up with a hundred thousand dollars basically to pay the bank back, so you can keep the house. Otherwise, you're gonna have to sell the house to pay the bank back. Um, so you know there's there's a lot of calculations that go into whether or not you want a reverse mortgage or not. You know, a lot of some of it's personal too. You know, do you want to leave the house to your kids and. If you do, will, you, will your kids be able to use their own cash to sort of pay off this mortgage or other assets that you have to pay off this mortgage so that you can keep the house? I, I tell people, do not seek a reverse mortgage if your design for it is to invest in the stock market because some you know mm-hmm. some financial seller or financial peddler told you this is a great way to invest because it's free cash that you're pulling out of your house to invest. Do not do that. That is a very bad decision. Do not take it out if you want to use it for vacation. Do not take it out if you want to do buy a car, a boat, whatever you want to do. Don't use a reverse mortgage for that because they're very, very expensive products for those particular needs. And I would never tell anybody to pull money out of an asset that is growing in value or generally grows in value despite what happens in the housing market, pulling out of a real asset to spend it on a wasting asset like an automobile or a car or a vacation. That's just not a good trade at all. Um, you know, you, if you're going to if you're going to do a reverse mortgage to purchase a long-term care contract because those can be very very expensive, but it's going to provide you a great amount of security when you're older. That can be a good plan. Um, and because long-term care contracts are very expensive and they get more expensive the older you get, uh, and if you uh, you know if you want to use a a a, um, a reverse mortgage for that, you know it may that 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 can make a lot of sense because it's going to benefit you and it's going to benefit your kids and that they're not going to be subject to you know the challenges of taking care of you when you can't take care of yourself because you now have a long-term care contract that will help pay for you know nursing homes or assisted living or whatever. So that can be a good trade-off.
0: One of the things that you recommended that I thought was just really on was having a you know these parents that are staying at home and have home health workers coming in, have a checklist for deciding who to hire and who not to hire.
1: Yeah, you can't just, I mean, this is like a, you know, it's like um, finding a babysitter for your child. I mean, if you think back, when if you're, a, if you're a parent, think back to your first child and, you know, both you and your spouse work and somebody's going to take care of your kid every day. Are you just going to hire the first goofball you find who theoretically could take care of a child? No, you're going to spend a whole lot of time doing a whole lot of research to make sure the person that's taking care of your child is qualified to take care of your child and is a good person. You know, you want the same thing for your parents. I mean, your parents did the same thing for you when you were a baby. They made sure that they found somebody who cared, who was caring, who was loving, who was there for you, you know, who wasn't some sort of crazed lunatic who was willing to watch you for a dollar a day. You know? <laughs> so you want to show your parents the same respect. You know, go, go do your homework. Find the assisted living center. Find the health care workers. Find the nursing homes. That have the credentials that you would want for yourself or for your child. You know, if you're if you're looking, you know, for, for a daycare center for your child, it's the same thing. And you know, I have a checklist in there of the things you want to look for. A lot of these things are registered. You know, there's there's all kind of ways to use state resources to um, check up on these things, and you really need to do that. I mean, you've got to do your homework. You're you're putting somebody's life in the care of somebody else's hands, and That somebody is your mom and or your dad. Show them a little respect, show them a little love, and, and, and do it the right way so that they are comfortable and don't feel threatened. And that you feel comfortable knowing that your parent is not going to be abused in any way or left unattended to hurt themselves.
0: And at the same time, as we get more people coming into the house, it's probably a good time to make sure that the jewelry and the credit cards and checkbooks and all the valuables are secure.
1: Absolutely. You, you definitely have to do that. I mean, I, I've seen from my own life. You know, my I live in South Louisiana, and we came back here after several years of of living all over the country and we came back because my wife wanted to be closer to her, her aging parents and particularly her grandfather who she was very very close to and I you know I saw the challenges that they dealt with with those kinds of issues you know items missing money missing you know items broken checks that were out of order and you're wondering hmm, who's been rummaging through the checkbooks and what else has been going on here until they found somebody who was absolutely the most caring individual you could possibly imagine and was a fantastic caregiver for this for this gentleman, but yeah, you 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 sort of have to take an inventory of of mom and dad's belongings, particularly the you know the items that have any particular um, value or even sentimental value. Um, and that includes like like, what's the word I'm looking for? not dishes, but you know plates and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of those things that are worth a lot of money. You know, my wife's grandmother had a bunch of dishware, serving utensils and whatnot. You know, stainless not stainless, but uh, pure silver, and you know the dishware was uh, was antique kind of stuff that's worth a lot of money. You know, most people aren't going to think about dishware, but a lot of this stuff is worth a lot of money in you know sort of a a collectible sense. It's worth a lot more in a in a a memory sense.
0: I, I, I've even had people tell me that 250-pound caretakers came in and, and crushed their antique furniture.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, And in a lot of these things you, want to, you might want to consider doing some sort of videotape of what exists and where it is so that if, if something looks out of place or misaligned or maybe something's missing, go to the tape. Hey, let's, let's do an instant replay and see what was there, what's gone now, what's been moved around. And, and keep that stuff in a safe deposit box. You know, you can you can buy videotapes you can buy video cameras these days that record on the tiniest little things. You can record it digitally, keep it on your computer. Very it's very convenient these days. But you want to keep a hard copy of it somewhere on a on a you know some sort of um computer drive or something that's that's stored away in in a safe deposit box, a flash drive or whatever, so that if something happens to your computer or your hard drive it always exists that you can go back to. But, yeah, you definitely want to keep track of this kind of stuff because it's very important, you know, sentimental value and real value, um, financial value, that you don't want to go missing, lost, damaged, stolen, whatever.
0: And likewise, if you have to go to a hospital or a nursing home, leave the jewelry and valuables at home. And if you have to take a laptop with you, take... Uh, one of those locks that you can uh, wrap the chain around a bed or something secure. An awful lot of property gets stolen in nursing homes and hospitals.
1: Right, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Have you done any research on whether Medicare wrap insurance is a good investment?
1: Uh You're talking about uh, Medigap? Right. Yeah, um it can be. Um uh, it just depends. I mean, again, this is a it's a facts and circumstances thing because it because it depends on what mom and dad can afford. I mean, there's so many versions of of MediGap, the different kinds of plans and what each one does cover and doesn't cover. I've got a chart in there that sort of lays all those things out and shows you which ones cover what and which ones don't cover this. You know, some of them are very affordable, some of them are exceedingly expensive. Uh and you really need to go through you know, sort of an exercise of determining what products, services, medications, uh, medical devices, etc., mom and dad are going to need and go through the various types of plans that exist and figure out if they make sense. And not all plans exist in every single state. I mean, they, they sort of mix and match in different ways. It's a very convoluted universe. So you know, it's best to sort of, you know, sit down, you can look at this little chart in my book and and see how they all come together and which one makes the most sense, particularly as it relates to the financial component because they are all differently priced and some of them are so expensive that you, you your, your mom and dad may not even be able to afford it. But they can make a lot of sense just depending upon you know the, the circumstances your parent is in.
0: It's amazing that uh, as we get older, our insurance gets even more complicated <laughs> instead oh, of simpler. It's
1: insane. I mean, Social Security, Medi- I mean not Social, Security, Social Security is a problem in and of itself, but Medicare, Medicaid and the Medigap plan, you could put together, you know, a team of economists to try and figure that thing out, and they would all come up with different answers on the best way to approach this. I mean, it really is sort of a, uh, just a jumble. It's a, it's, it's a spaghetti bowl, and trying to sort of sort through it all is a bit of a challenge.
0: One thing I wanted to be sure to talk about is the Medicaid look back. Do you want to explain that?
1: Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that, that you know, these plans look back at where assets existed and where assets have gone. You know, a lot of people want to hide assets from um, from Medicaid so that mom and dad look impoverished when they're not, because Medicaid is basically for the indigent. You can have some assets, but it's not very much. Uh, you know, it, it really is. You know, the the asset level they're talking about really is sort of impoverishment. Um, and some people want to hide a bunch of assets from from the federal government or from the, uh, from the Medicaid folks and states and whatnot because they think it's going to help Mom and Dad qualify for Medicaid, which means that you know Mom and Dad don't have to pay all the costs of you know various health care plan or health care costs and whatnot. Um, so they'll just fall into into Medicaid. But the government now goes back and says we're going to look back five years and we're going to see if anybody has been moving assets around, you know, has, has mom and dad sold their house for a low market value to somebody who is related to them? You know, they go through the whole rigmarole just to make sure that you aren't trying to game the system. And if you are gaming the system, then there's penalties involved. And I can't remember what all the exact penalties are because there's just so much data floating in my head. Um, but the penalties are not insignificant. You know, your mom and dad can lose access to Medicaid for, you know, X period of time. You don't want to be in that situation. So, you know, there is there is legal Medicaid planning, um, but you need to kind of do that beforehand. You need to do it in the right way because if you do it the wrong way, it really is going to come back and bite you in the behind, and it's not going to be very beneficial to your parents in the end. You know, it's just not a it's just not a a good way to to sort of approach the system. So be very leery if you hear of somebody sort of pitching a a Medicaid planning. Product to your to your parents because there is the you know this look back period that can be very costly if if things are done wrong. Yeah, and that's that that is ultimately the message of this book. I mean, the message is a have the talk. That's the most important mm-hmm. thing. But the real takeaway is you can do this. I mean, it's not. It's a challenge. It's work. It's not a walk in the park. It's going to be mind-numbingly frustrating. You're going to want to bang your head against the wall. You're going to want to reach through the phone and grab somebody by the throat and strangle them because they won't tell you just a basic piece of information you need to know. But you can do this, and this book can help you. I mean, we, together we're going to walk through this, and we're going, to, we're going to put you in charge of your parents' life, and you're going to be able to help mom and dad at the time they need it most and I guarantee you it's going to help build that relationship with your parents later in life and you're going to learn things about your parents. You're going to see them in a different way. You know, The person who was always so busy when he was working is going to be the person who is going to sort of buddy up to you when he's old and you're going to find a friend and it's going to be a really enlightening experience for you.
0: And Jeff will personally mail you a sticker that says hero. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're talking with Jeff Opdyke who is the author of Protecting Your Parents' Money: The Essential Guide to Helping Mom and Dad Navigate the Finances for Retirement? A very, very practical guide and available at Amazon and Barnes & Noble's and most of the bookstores. Jeff, uh, very vital information and really appreciate you sharing it.
1: Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it.
0: Commentary. Our brains are wired to use it or lose it. If we aren't using math, doing our own taxes, following financial issues, we lose some of our ability to use these skills. In our teens and young adulthood, our brains are wired to be a little pessimistic and distrustful. That can help with survival. As we age, we develop habits of whom to trust and whom not to trust. Our brains gradually change and become more optimistic and trusting. Rapidly changing technology, financial products, and the economy can catch seniors unprepared. Health problems and medications may also dull cognitive skills. All these factors make seniors vulnerable to financial exploitation. The good news is that Jeff Opdyke shows us how to straightforwardly and honestly help parents and even to coordinate the help with siblings. He also gives us a plan and resources for getting finances in order and making optimal decisions about insurance, Social Security, and health care. The bad news is that it can involve a lot of detective work and a lot of scud work. One of his most important research-based recommendations is that most people do better off financially by taking their Social Security benefits as late as possible and, if needed, using IRA or other retirement funds until the Social Security income starts. This is the opposite of what most people do. One of his favorite resources is the National Council on Aging, www.ncoa.org. That's ncoa.org. One of my favorite online resources is medicare.gov. That's medicare.gov. You are listening to Ageless Lifestyles on webtalkradio.net and permanently archived on agelesslifestyles.com. For information on my books, Defy Aging, 52 Baby Steps to Grow Young, and my Anti-Aging Hypnosis CDs, Personal Coaching, and my keynote and seminar services, just go to notaging.com or drbricky.com, D-R-B-R-I-C-K-E-Y.com. I'd love to hear your comments and suggestions send them to radio at agelesslifestyles.com. This is your anti-aging psychologist, Dr. Michael Bricky, thanking you for joining us on our quest to live longer, healthier, and happier.